All right, friends, let's just take a moment to breathe and roll those shoulders back and open into this sermon time. Man, because it's been, it's been a week. And uh, like me, you may have wept and cheered when Derek Chauvin was found guilty on all three charges in the killing of George Floyd. And like me, you may have also wept at the words and the reminders from our black siblings in response to that, like poet laureate Amanda Gorman, who said, a reminder that victory would be George Floyd being alive. Everyday black Americans worry if they will be next is another day without justice. And even as the verdict was such a dose of hope for all of us in this work of anti-racism, there is so much farther to go, which is so bitterly apparent in the shooting only minutes after the verdict was read of 16-year-old Makia Bryant, shot four times by police, a child. And then Andrew Brown Jr. in North Carolina, my friends, for the trauma upon trauma for our black siblings, like we just cry, Lord have mercy, like this is just too much. This week and this entire year and the last 400 years, but what this year has been for us with the reckoning of racial justice and police brutality with this disorienting experience of global pandemic with its roller coaster in every part of our lives and how our lives have felt on pause or like in an alternate universe. I've been thinking about how there's this questioning, question that's bubbling out of us. Like, is this all headed anywhere? Is this your question too? Oh, so we follow Jesus through the rhythms of Lent and Good Friday and Easter Sunday every year to remind ourselves that this, this life, this world, us, this is all headed somewhere. That we are on a trajectory. There is an arc to this story that we are a part of. There is this continual movement of deaths into resurrections of life emerging, of all the things that are broken and suffering and unjust and unfair and unequitable, like un-anything, that all of that is moving toward wholeness and reconciliation. This is why we use words like redemption and salvation. It's why Martin Luther King Jr. famously named how the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Like this is bending somewhere. Now, according to the biblical story, where this story is headed, how, how we name the destination of all things is that we're moving toward heaven and earth becoming one. It's what we pray for in the Lord's prayer. Let it be on earth as in heaven, one. This season of Easter, then, is a time to celebrate that, this trajectory we're on in this way of Jesus, especially now, when so much feels stuck. Is this all headed anywhere? And is this anywhere that we're headed? Like, is it any good? Because I can only take so much more isolation and masking and police brutality and white supremacy and people dying of COVID. 
Adam Grant has an article in the New York Times this week naming what so many of us are feeling and experiencing in light of all this. He says it's not burnout, it's not depression. You know, we feel somewhat joyless and aimless. It turns out that there's a name for that. Languishing. Languishing is a sense of stagnation and emptiness. Like we're muddling through our days, looking at life through a foggy windshield. And it might be like the dominant emotion of 2021. So search online for Adam Grant, languishing, to read this article. But I think he's spot on. We're languishing, like stagnation and emptiness, even with vaccines, even with the glorious sunshine we got a taste of, which is why here at Salt House we just keep naming, as we did on Easter, that it's okay that joy can feel hard to feel right now. This is also why... We will spend this Easter season that we're in and beyond intentionally in our next sermon series. And here it is, okay? Our new sermon series we're calling simply, Why Worship? Why Worship? Which, if that doesn't just immediately hook you, let me say a little bit about why this is a good thing for us right now. So worship is what God's people have always done which brings up really big, juicy questions. Like, like why do we do it? Does, does God need it? Who is worship for? The worship has taken and does still take many forms. Why do we get together and do these things that we do that we call worship? And especially now, right? This past year, as we've only known worship together at a distance, mitigated by a screen, It has still been something that's good and holy and meaningful and grounding for us through this year, yet why do we keep doing it? Especially like the last thing we were looking for was more screen time. And as we are three weeks out from the opportunity to worship in person outside here at Salt House on May 23rd, what better time to stop and unpack and celebrate why we have all hung in and now worked so carefully to make this possible for us again. The timing is just right for us to take time and ask together, why worship? And how is this a part of where all this is headed as heaven and earth become one? This will be a conversation that we each access from different places and different experiences. I just want to name that up front. Some of us are new to this whole worship and church thing. Some of us have been harmed by church and carry baggage around the experience of what we had in worship in the past. Some of us are accustomed to something very different than we do in worship at Salt House. So we get to come at this from all the diverse places that we come from, your experience, your wounds, your, hesit- your hesitancies, your joys, all of it are welcome in this conversation that we'll have about worship. So in the weeks ahead, we'll walk through the various pieces of what we do during worship, focusing on one of those pieces each Sunday. So next week, why sing? Then we'll talk about why confess and absolve. Why do we preach? Why do we have this sermon thing that happens? Why the sacraments? Why give? Why pray? Why respond? Why does any of this matter for us here and now? And what happens in us and in God as we do this thing that God's people have always done? Why worship? You feeling it? Are you here for it? Good. 
Well, for today, we're going to lay some foundation for us in this conversation about worship that we can build upon in the weeks to come. So, heaven and earth becoming one. Let's start there again. What do we mean when we say that? Well, heaven is God's realm. It's often called um, the kingdom of God. Earth is the physical stuff of our bodies and dirt and trees and cars. It's like our physical lived reality that we experience through our senses. The thing about this trajectory, the way that it's described, is that heaven and earth as one, not only is it like the end of the story, like where we're headed, but it's also the beginning of the story. It's where we have come from to. So what is that? That beginning part of the story? It's the Garden of Eden, right? which paints this beautiful picture of heaven and the kingdom of God. It's life in a a garden, this vibrancy of creation and humanity in relationship with this creation and in relationship with God. Revelation, then, at the end of the story, also paints this bizarrely dynamic and symbolic picture of the kingdom of God. Also, so much is spoken through the prophets and through Jesus himself about who God is and what God's kingdom is like, heaven. And so this trajectory, where all of this is headed, is for that kind of vibrancy and all the good things that Jesus said and did to heal, restore, reconcile, break chains, cease oppression and injustice for our world now to look like that. Like that is what we mean when we say that heaven and earth are becoming one, that heaven and earth is all existing in one place. It's the same that, those pictures are, that's the kind of life that happens in this picture that we hold on earth as in heaven. Now, from the beginning, God created humanity with a unique role in participating in this heaven and earth becoming one thing. And in preparing for today, I saw this in a whole new way thanks to the Bible Project podcast, who I'm going to just pull heavily from some of their conversations Uh, But this unique role for humanity, we see it as kind of the assignment that God gives Adam in Genesis 2. Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And Eve came and joined him soon too. But what what are Adam and Eve, or what are they to do? They are to be in the garden and what? They are to work it and take care of it. Work it take care of it. So both of these words are so good in their original Hebrew, a lot of good stuff going on there. For our purposes today, we're going to look at that word work. In Hebrew, it is the word avad. Can you say avad? Good. So avad, it means work, but it also has another meaning. There's a double meaning wordplay that's happening here in the text. Avad also means to worship. So clever authors are able to use one word when, to mean both things, like they activate both meanings. It's a double entendre. And that is what's happening here. It's one word with two meanings. In the Eden story, then on one level, you know, Adam and Eve, you know, they are working in the garden as farmers. But on another level, they are also depicted as royal priests, And so their working in the garden is their liturgy. It is their act of doing ritual worship, which in the temple that corresponded with working with the sacrifices, lighting incense, and singing in choirs, and speaking aloud the prayers. 
What they do in the garden is worship, which is the work of the priests. So Eden was a place where heaven and earth overlap, right? This is a concept carried through the biblical story, heaven and earth overlapping in a place. We see this also in the temple, also the tabernacle. These holy places were crucial in the lives of God's people, And not just anyone could go into those holy places, right? You see, not only is the overlap of heaven and earth a place, but then we also have the overlap of divine and human in the people who live and work in that place, the priests. So those who work in these heaven-earth places, so Adam and Eve, and then later with the tabernacle, the temple, it was the priests who worked there. They are a meeting place of heaven and earth in their very person, The idea is that you look at these figures and you go, whoa, that's like God. They are like God. I am looking at an image, a reflection of God. So priests held this overlapping space where they were to represent God to the creation. But then they were also themselves creations that represent creation back to God. This adds just another juicy layer on what it means that Adam and Eve were made in the image of God, right? They bear that image of their avad, in their avad, like in their work and worship, they bear that image as they hold this overlapping middle place where heaven and earth meet. So avad, to work and worship. So Adam and Eve are the first to embody this collaboration that God invites humanity into, holding this middle space where divine and human overlap, where heaven and earth dwell. The Bible Project podcast, you know, they have a recent series of podcasts on the royal priesthood, and they mark this movement of the royal priesthood kind of thread through the biblical story, how first Adam and Eve are the first royal priests and how they fail and forfeit their calling and vocation. Abraham is called to be God's blessing to the world. He meets a royal priest and ends up having to act like a priest and give up his own son Isaac for his sins, but God provides a substitute. Then Moses goes on Mount Sinai, establishes the tabernacle and the priesthood of Aaron, which becomes the failure of the priesthood of Aaron. And then David rekindles the royal priesthood of Melchizedek in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and then fails. And then Jesus comes and brings all threads together in his announcement of the kingdom of God and presenting himself as the royal priest. So heaven and earth, right there, right? So his resurrection and ascension are about how he is now working through a royal priesthood that he formed during his earthly part of his mission, that the royal priesthood is called the people of Jesus, the body of Christ, his body taking form on earth in this priesthood that holds that space where heaven and earth meet. You tracking with me? Well then, guess who that is? That's right, it's all of us. So we get to do We get to be and do the royal priesthood stuff now until new creation when it is all connected. So we are told to avad also to do our work and our worship here in the places where we are. 
The Apostle Paul also names this again and again, how our body is what? Our body is a temple, right? It's a new place where heaven and earth overlap. Then John takes it even further in his writing. He doesn't even use the language of temple. He only uses the language of tabernacle because God's spirit in us is on the move, right? God is always on the move in us, going where we are, not stuck in a temple that is static and that could be destroyed. Oh, it's so good. So it's just there through the whole, the whole narrative, the whole story. So just holding on to all of this, why worship? Why do we worship? Well, it's the beginning of the story and it tells us how we were made for it. We were made to avad, work and worship in the image of God. It's not something that's weird or outside of who we are. And really, when when it comes to worship, we're going to do it no matter what, because it's just part of how we're wired. So to worship means to ascribe honor and significance to someone or something. We were made for worshiping God because who we worship, it forms us and makes us. What we give significance to, that honor and significance, it's going to define us. It makes sense that the Hebrew word for work as in the things that we do and spend our energies and time on and give ourselves to, that these are also ways in which we worship. We're ascribing honor and significance to something. We're made for worship, and we are made by it. So what do we do? What do we actually do when we worship? Well, when we get together for worship at Salt House, online or in person, we come into this modern-day temple, yes, a place where heaven and earth overlamp as people who are also where the divine and human overlap. We gather here to remember who we are and to remember that heaven has already begun to arrive here on earth, like that coming together of all things is happening. Jesus' resurrection in another garden is the first sign of that new creation. So we come back to this temple to remember that the temple is now all around us, all the time, like new creation. Tabernacling is happening all over the place. It's all included in that overlap. And we have these things that we do when we're here in worship that have evolved over time and we do them to get us ready for and to practice the avad, the work and worship that we will do in the world. It's like this is our our training ground, our school of love as we call it. Worship here is our practice at worshiping everywhere. Because we are sent from our gathered worship in this temple to be scattered in the world as salt and light in our neighborhoods and workplaces and our schools, enacting our priestly duties. Like Adam and Eve, their gardening was their avad. So we and all that we do in our work, we also offer our worship by living that love and that kingdom of God. Man, are you tracking with me? Because that means today and next Sunday and the next when we gather for worship, the intent is for you to hear your invitation again into your avad as you do your work as a barista or a programmer, a teacher, a student, a parent, a nurse, an engineer. 
and we try it, and we get to this work and worship, right? And we fail sometimes, and we learn, and we grow, and we keep being and becoming our own authentic, yet scarred, yet gorgeous image of God in this time and place and creation now. This is us. This is who we are and what we do. So friends, even as we are in this global moment of languishing, this, all of this, it's all headed somewhere because Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. And Christ is part of this unfurling trajectory that we are on. And the divine is in you and heaven is all around you. No matter how small your world may feel right now, or how chaotic and demanding this place where you find yourself now. Look around. Heaven and earth are beginning to become one. And here in you, the divine and human overlap. Feel enfolded in this healing, restoring reality you are already a part of. Feel it, then let's get to work to our collaborative avad of engaging homelessness and dismantling racism and white supremacy, of advocating for mental health, for affordable housing and health care, for a living wage for all people, for the inclusion and equity and affirmation of all our beautiful lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, queer folk, and just for all of the other beloveds the beloveds of God who need the mercy, justice, and love of God. It is with and for these among us that we avod together. And there's so much more to say about this weirdly wonderful thing called worship that we are made for. So stay tuned for the weeks to come as we ask and experience why we worship together. Amen? Amen.